welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we're reading books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are finishing up Anna's Robinsonade unit. Thank God, because I think there was only <laughs> one good book in this whole genre. <laughs> we started this this unit with uh, Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Um, Anna explained that she was not a big fan of survivalism. Uh, we then went on to read Robinson Crusoe by Defoe, during which we learned that this which is, it was type hell of book on is, earth. <laughs> it was hell on earth, and we learned that this type of book is called a Robinsonade. Um, so I brought to the table Nation by Terry Pratchett as yes. hopefully an example of this genre that Anna might actually like. So what's the verdict, Anna? I mean. There was a 100% chance I was going to like this book. <laughs> I know. Here's the thing. Terry Pratchett has written so many books. I feel like this would be a very easy cheat code for me to just every time that I have to Pretty do much. a book for you. Just find a Terry Pratchett one that applies. I, you probably could. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed this book. Um, I I liked it. It was very, very much different from his Discworld series in that it yes. wasn't super satirical, but it it it, took, it was a very like a serious book i guess as much as it could be um but like it had all of his trademark like here is our plot and i'm going to feed it to you in a very like not it's not convoluted but convoluted way <laughs> convoluted sounds <laughs> negative i want it to be a positive word <laughs> complex yes there you go <laughs> as i push my glasses on my nose it's very complex <laughs> Yeah, what'd you think of it? Um, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I think last time we read a Terry Pratchett book on this podcast was like a year and a half ago or so. Uh, and that was the first one I'd ever read, aside from Good Omens, which was half written with Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. And I liked that one. I liked this one. I think I did read one other Terry Pratchett in the meantime, but I can't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so far I, I've liked all of his books. I don't know if I will seek them out necessarily. I don't know. It's weird. Cause like, I, I think the thing is that his books are funny, but they always make me cry. And I don't know if I can <laughs> deal with that on a regular basis. This one was, this one was a lot more, uh, emotional than a lot of his other books are I will say that I mean I definitely remember crying during Hogfather and I think I cried during the other one I tried by him <laughs> I mean again I cry very easily yeah. but <laughs> for the last like probably full chapter of this book it was just literally tears streaming down my oh face. it was it, it was, was very touching I enjoyed that immensely the thing I thought I liked about this book, though, too, was that there was a little bit of magical realism in it as well. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> so we've kind of just, like, ticked all of our boxes here. We don't need to do another episode. But just kidding. There was also something about it that, to me, seemed very new adult. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of, I guess, ticking boxes, who would you recommend this book for? Oh, literally anyone. I know this is this is written with a young adult audience in mind, perhaps, because the two main characters are young teens, but I read very adult to me. So I think anyone could read it and find it accessible. 
Yeah, I didn't actually think it was meant for a YA audience, and that might just be like... Oh, really? Maybe I'm confused. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this is marketed. I feel like YA is not specifically just the protagonist is that age, right? Uh, well, this know. one's want, want, bleh. This one has won a lot of young adult awards. Oh, it has. Okay, then I'm wrong, and I'll <laughs> shut the fuck up. Um, I was going to say, I, was, I would recommend it to people like perhaps me, mm. except not quite me, who haven't read a lot of Terry Pratchett and get like told to read Terry Pratchett a lot, but maybe don't like spec fic that much. Because mm. I think yeah. that like... This was more historical with a little touch of magical realism. Yeah, I mean, it was like alternate reality sort of spec fic yeah. and there's like moments of it could be fantasy but it wasn't like most like kind of my perception of terry pratchett books are that they are like pillars of the the modern fantasy genre yes good? they <laughs> and sorry i took out my headphones because i wanted to see if i could hear you Without my headphones on, which would mean the microphone could hear you. But <laughs> took out her headphones because she's so tired. I was like, oh, fuck, um, God, shut up. Now, <laughs> but it was amazing because you're so loud in my ears, but I took my headphones out and it was like dead silent. You're so loud in my ears. You're so, I, I cannot like, stop hearing you in my head, but when I took my headphones out, it was perfect. spoken by Anna and also all of our listeners. <laughs> Uh, you guys should try it you guys should all take your headphones out in the middle of what an m speech no just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> will that hoe ever stop rambling <laughs> it was just a good opportunity to test out my new headphones okay see how quiet they were and they're extremely quiet but also very loud in my ear which is good it's a good thing that's the ideal for headphones okay okay <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) I think Terry Pratchett is, it's intimidating because you look at his Mm -hmm. 43 book series and you're like, oh shit, where do I start? And no matter how many people tell you, it doesn't matter where you start. You can literally pick up series anywhere. I know you probably feel like you can't. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I know I urge like, if you are new to Discworld, please do not start with books one and two. Do not do yourself that favor. Come back to them once you are fully a Terry Pratchett fan and then read them because maybe those are the two Terry Pratchett books I'm not a huge fan of. I mean, they're still good, but don't start there. <laughs> it will turn you off. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. This is this is a good entry point, I think, to getting a sense of his style, a sense of mm-hmm. his... um. Uh, kind of like what he's going for as an author, really, right? Like, it's to take the real world, put put very, like, real problems into a fantasy-like setting, and then yeah. have some sort of commentary about it. It's, it's good. I also wanted to kind of mention, I guess, I think this would probably be a good book for people like you who hate Robinson Ace. Yeah, they're I fucking I feel terrible. like... Pratchett might hate Robinson <laughs> might have I should say you know um, but there was there was a lot of I think commentary on how Robinsonades typically play yes. out I very much appreciated that well I mean most of the book is told from Mao's point of view who is the person I don't know how to phrase this without sounding like my brain is like dead here's what I would say about this book okay. to kind of get to what I think you're yes go ahead trying to get to it's 
from one angle, it's a Robinsonade. From another angle, it's a post-apocalypse novel. Post-apocalypse? Yeah. From Mao's angle, it's post-apocalypse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So it depends if you're looking at it from Mao's perspective or from... Um, Daphne. I want to say Ermintrude, but I know that's not yeah. the name she prefers in this book, and I want to respect her. <laughs> uh, what's Daphne. Daphne. Yeah. Thank you. Daphne's perspective. Yeah, that is true. And like, kind of like a post-post-apocalypse, right? Like we find out mm-hmm. at the end. He was living a post-apocalyptic life, and then yes, that was also destroyed. When when I was like researching Robin Snade's kind of post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, I'm not even going to try. When I was researching <laughs> survivalism, um, kind of that was sort of the two directions that got brought up a lot was Robin Snade's and then post-apocalypse. They are kind of opposites in that Robinsonades are books in which the character is ripped from society and mm-hmm. then post-apocalypse is like books in which society is ripped from the character, right? Yeah, they're and like it's very opposite ends of the spectrum. How Pratchett was able to like have both of those coexist and in doing so draw commentary into Robinsonades and like how we view society and like uh civilization i guess Mm -hmm. that was a very english major answer yeah (laughs) (laughs) there are a ton of layers to this book though and i even had Mm -hmm. written in my notes it was like here's this thing that happens and it comes back a lot in the book but we don't have time to talk about it yeah (laughs) this is this is a very meaty book i honestly kind of wanted to sit down and like write a comparison like a one-to-one comparison with this and Robinson Crusoe Mm. like I think someone out there if you're looking for a thesis to write for your online probably Phoenix online degree (laughs) no no No, I mean because regular online degree classes aren't happening right now yeah 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 uh but that would be that would be a a take you could do if you're looking for a topic (laughs) don't send it to me I'm not interested I found yeah, the I, one I, good Robinson Aid book. I don't want to relive Robinson Crusoe, but we support you <laughs> in your life decisions. <laughs> you can use us as a source. That's fine. Please do. I would like to be quoted in a scholarly article. Wouldn't that be cool, though? I mean, it'd be pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, remember me from that article you had to read for your anthropology class about Robinson Aids? Finally be vindicated <laughs> in the eyes of my family. <laughs> my bad life choices anyway (laughs) oh man anyway let's talk about this book let's let's talk about the summary of this book (laughs) actually let's not because i knew going into this Uh that although we have a lot to talk about this from an english major perspective we might not have a lot to talk about this from a funny podcast perspective um and a lot of times when that happens what i do is i bring um a little game that we can play all right Um, so i've prepared a game for you today called is this a chapter of nation or is it the title of a pop punk emo song from the 2000s amazing okay okay (laughs) how do we play or when do we play now yes okay okay all right first question is this a is this a chapter title from this book or is this a title of a song from a pop punk emo group in the 2000s uh do i have to say the group's name too You'll get bonus points. Oh, sweet. You, I can't wait. If you know the group. The Milk That Happens. That's a title in this book. Very good. That yes. was an easy one. Yes. 
All right, very good. So that's a point for you. Yes. That's by Terry Pratchett. Bonus points. Uh, question two. Same question, but different. <laughs> Matters of blood and connection. That's from this book. It's not. Damn it. It's a Dashboard Confessional song from 2007 album Shade of the Poison Tree. Ooh, I don't know that one. <laughs> it's not vindicated. I'm not here for it. <laughs> Spider-Man 2. Uh, <laughs> believing is seeing. I mean, that definitely feels like a... A song title. Is that your final answer? Yes. Incorrect. That is a chapter title from this. And I did check to see if it was a song, and I could not find any, although there are a lot that are seeing as believing. (laughs) Maybe that's like the name of a band. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bargains, Covenants, and Promises. Uh, that is... That is from the book. That is from the book. (sighs) (sighs) I usually don't um, read chapter titles, to be honest. <laughs> I, I counted on that. <sighs> Calm before the storm. That feels like a trick question. But then I feel like you would know that that's a trick question and you would have made it. Oh, <laughs> it's a song. It is a song that is a fallout boy song from the 2003 album. Take this to your grave. <sighs> there were a lot of fallout boy songs that could have worked for this game. <laughs> um, the world turned upside down. Uh, that's a... Oh, but they have all that upside down stuff with the globe. Mm. Song. Song title. It is a song title, but of a Hamilton <laughs> song, not a <laughs> pop punk song. And it is a chapter in this book. Ah, this is so hard. How did you find such <laughs> oh. good song titles? Okay, okay. okay. Uh, build God, then we'll talk. God damn it, M. These are so hard. <laughs> oh my god. Um, song title. That is a song title okay. from the uh, 2005 album A Fever You Can't Sweat Out by Panic at the Disco. Oh, I never listened to Panic at the Disco except that one song. <laughs> uh, Calenture. What? Calenture. Could be Calenture. C-A-L-E-N-T-U-R-E. Is that a song? Uh, it's a trick question. It is a song and also the third chapter of this book. What? The, what is Calenture? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, just two more. Two more. Okay. A feverish delirium supposedly caused by heat in the tropics. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Makes sense. That is a 2016 song by punk band Marching Church. Uh, the World You Love. Song. It is a song from the 2004 album Futures by Jimmy Eat World. And finally, it takes a lifetime to learn how to die. That has to be from the book. It is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was making tally marks during that whole game to see if you won or not, but I kept tallying the wrong thing. So I think you won six to three there. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. I'll take my (laughs) victory whether or not it's deserved. Someone write in and tell us what the score was. But these titles are very are very uh, reminiscent of my high school years. That's <laughs> that was a really good time for thank pop you. punk music. It was. I like how I said thank you because I thought you were saying it was a really good time right now that we had on this show. <laughs> it didn't seem like I was taking credit for. I'm taking pop my headphones out again. In the early 2000s. <laughs> I'm back. It's fine. 
<laughs> All right, let's talk about this book. All right, let's get into the summary. Um, it's it's a little bit convoluted, like I said, so you might have to interject here. I mostly did this from Mao's perspective because that's the one I liked better. But wait, I've got. I'll some have to interject. I don't know how I'll do that. I've never done that before. I know. I've never known. I've no always. You've always just sat there patiently, quietly waiting your turn <laughs> to speak. Never talking over you for an entire sentence that I then later have to edit. <laughs> Man, we are just shitting all over you today. <laughs> do you want to take? You know do you what? want me to take a turn? We could talk about some of my faults. No, you're perfect. Thank you. Let's go. I know. I just wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> okay. So, Mao is a boy who is going through a becoming a man ritual where he paddles out to an island that's separate from his nation and lives on the land for 30 days. And he is supposed to leave his boy soul on this island and return to the nation. And they will give him a man soul and a tattoo and a circumcision, I'm pretty sure, is what they <laughs> Yeah, I think there. that was, yes. <laughs> um. However, the day he plans to sail back to the main island, this huge wave typhoon thing comes and completely floods and destroys the nation. And Mao is the only one of his people left alive. Daphne, or Ermintrude, as some know her, is a noble girl from England who is sailing to meet her dad on another island that he's recently been appointed the governor of. And the ship she is on, the Sweet Judy, is stranded on Mao's island during the huge wave typhoon thing. And she is the sole survivor of this wreck. Also important to note, she is 139th in line for the crown, which (laughs) you have to remember because at the end of the book it comes back. But there's essentially the subplot where a group of special operative spy guys are looking for her and her father because the Russian flu has wiped out all the other people in line for the crown and her dad is the king and she is a princess and neither of them knows till the end of the book but it like keeps coming up which like the Russian flu thing was like really cool because that was like basically the start of this book and I was like oh shit we chose another book about pandemic god damn it (laughs) but it's okay this was a funny one the flu was barely mentioned. <laughs> so anyway, Mao is in like this deep depression about his entire nation being gone for obvious reasons. And he goes <laughs> through <laughs> like, like, he, yeah, this is, this is. No, he's like, it's chill. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, he goes through the burial rites for everyone that he can find. And he describes it as walking with Lokaha, which is the god of death for the nation. And he kind of goes into a little bit of a trance or, I don't know, like a dissociative fugue or something. Like a fugue, yeah, 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 yeah. Where he just completely, he describes it as like himself crawling up into a little ball inside of his body and then another Mao being projected and doing all of these things. So like... He didn't have to take note of like, here is a face that I've known my entire life. They're dead. And now I'm burying them essentially. So he has a special relationship with the God of death throughout the rest of this book, which again is really cool, but we can't really talk about it. (laughs) I mean, we can, but that would be the whole podcast. I feel like Um, the mythology in this book was so good. It was very, very good. Yeah. It was interesting also because there was kind of this question, except for probably like, one scene maybe Mm -hmm. 
where there was kind of the question of like how much of this is actually happening and how much of this is just in these characters heads right because I think you could read this as these because they they both experience voices talking to them from these various Mm -hmm. forces uh and I think you could make the case that oh it's just a sign of the trauma that they're going through Uh right but then there is the one scene where they both die and meet up in Deadland. So like Yeah. So yeah, like like we said earlier, there's just like that touch of magical realism to this book where you could say, oh, this is just like a very magical spiritual island or PTSD. I don't know. <laughs> so take your pick. Anyway, Daphne finds Mal while while he's going through his fugue and she attempts to communicate with him and leaves him food but Mao doesn't react to her but he kind of makes note of this ghost girl that's walking around um, and Mao hears the voices of the grandfathers speaking to him which are the souls of his male ancestors and but only the really good ones because only some of them get buried in the grandfather's yes, cave only the really brave warrior grandfathers are there so you know they have certain views about how the nation should be run and there's a bit of confirmation bias in that uh, there's a very select group that is making these yes. <laughs> uh, decisions or making these requests of Mal. <laughs> and then, like we said earlier, like there, Daphne also hears or has someone communicating to her or hears voices or just is talking to herself. I don't know, but the grandmothers are speaking to her, which are like just the women of the nation. And they are very surprised that someone can hear them because they have been drowned out by the grandfathers. So... the stuff with the grandmothers was very like the their whole commentary on like the the desires of the grandfathers being like we have to prove our might and we have to be strong and whatever and the grandmothers are just like look like y'all we we had these kids and they grew up and killed other people's kids Mm -hmm. like that kind of sucked for us (laughs) yeah that's not what we wanted for any of them yeah but the hello Artie. So the grandfathers that are sorry for my dog barking in the background, the, <laughs> the, the voices that Mao hears, the grandfathers, they tell him that he has to find the god anchors and put them back in their rightful places. And they basically yell at him a lot for not doing things according to tradition. But Mao is like, fuck tradition and fuck the gods because everybody died. There must not be a god. Um, oh my god, Artie. Which, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, uh, but the god anchors are essentially... The god anchors are essentially these huge white slabs of stone that were placed in specific places on the island, and they're each associated with one of three gods, fire, air, or water. And Mal finds the fire and air stones, but he doesn't want to bring up the water stone because water killed everybody <laughs> he thinks it should just lay to rest where it is and it's also like artemis it's not his name uh <laughs> i call him that it's also like usually i'm good at like talking through it but like it's just really distracting to me today um i don't know if i had a point <laughs> i'm gonna have to cut <laughs> so listen much. I don't know how to get back into it because I forgot what I was saying. We're talking about the water stone kills. Oh, right, right, right. He didn't want to bring back the water stone. There's like, 
he doesn't want to bring it back because like the water sucks and also because he's having like this big crisis of faith in general of like kind of seems like the gods aren't real (laughs) yeah yeah which reaches an interesting conclusion where he basically like continues to not be religious but agrees that other people need religion or they need like these kinder lies to explain things that they don't have answers to because the answer is just like sucks to suck you know (laughs) yeah so it's a lot a lot in here in regards to religion and the uses for it and possible harms from it i think Mm -hmm. which was interesting yeah yeah there's there's it's there's so much so many layers this book is an (laughs) onion eventually daphne leaves mao a note that says meet me at the ship for tea and there's like a comical uh misunderstanding but mao goes there and while there daphne asks mao to help her bury the body of the captain of the ship that she was on and he does so but during the burial at sea, the captain's hat, like, they bury him in his hat, but it bobs back up from underwater because there's nothing keeping it on his head. And Daphne says, oh, the captain wanted you to have that. Don't let it get away. And she lunges into the water and I, she's wearing so many clothes. She gets weighed down and is, like, drowning. So Mao jumps in to save her life. And then while he's down here, there's a more cool interactions with the god of death. But essentially Mao discovers this motto for himself like does not happen like he will not let someone die or he will keep the god of death away on his watch like it just does not happen here there's too much death that already happened no more right and and part of it is because this comes up later it's like there's the option between it happens and it does not happen right Mm -hmm. so he's like does not happen and that gets brought up later with the god of death in a way that kind of i guess justifies the entire book in terms of, like, what exactly its uh, level of fantasy is, I guess. Yeah, maybe. It's an alternate universe. Is yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, multiverse. It's the multiverse. <laughs> I was like, I don't really know where you're going I don't know that. where you're going. You're being too veiled. <laughs> yes, I will tentatively agree. Uh, yes, and. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So the two start to rebuild the village because, as Mao says, one person is nothing, but two people are a nation. Because this book is filled with so many good lines. So many good lines. (laughs) Along the way, other survivors from the other villages and islands start to show up on the shore. Uh, There's an older priest named Ataba. There's a very strong man named Milo. There's a man who's very good at talking named Pilu. And there's an unknown woman and her child. And she's obviously dealing with some things. Uh, but she gets better. It's okay. And Milo's wife, who also has a baby, is pregnant when she arrives. Yes, yes. Which leads to some drama. Yes, and Daphne has to like deliver this child, and I guess the nation has this ritual of singing a song to urge the baby to come out of the womb. And Daphne can't think of any other songs except "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." And but you know, if you listen to the lyrics of it, it kind of sounds portentous is that the word i'm looking for could be like it portends things yeah yeah yeah. it sounds portentous to to the people of the nation and they think she's like this great spiritual powerful woman yes because there's another aspect of this book which i think is kind of brought to the forefront with milo and pilu especially there is a language barrier here between daphne and everyone else Mm -hmm. um milo and pilu have spent some time with uh 
white people. Trouser men. <laughs> Trouser men, yeah. And so they speak some English. Daphne obviously speaks all or speaks English and then everyone else speaks the language of the island. So there's kind of like this interesting thing that happens where they're trying to communicate, but Pratchett doesn't tell you what is in which language. Yes, I really like that. There was no like dumbing. Well, there was, but like for a fact, like there wasn't a lot of like dumbing down of language like you saw in Robinson Crusoe Mm -hmm. um, and other. So like, like you know that they aren't understanding each other. Like, everything is written in English, but, like, Pratchett makes clear in his commentary that they are not speaking the same language. So it's, like, kind of this interesting, like, puzzle within this dialogue where you're trying to figure out, like, okay, she said this, and he said he didn't understand this, but he got this part, so he probably understood this one word, but not the other words, you know? So, like, it's it's interesting. It was, like you said, like, a lot better than Robinson Crusoe, where it's just... I understood his mimicry. Right, and people speaking in, like, broken English in order to make the point. And actually, we got a little bit of that later with one of the villains of the piece. Yeah. He kind of takes the Crusoe approach to things. (laughs) To great effect. Yeah. (laughs) It's very villainous. Um, She has the baby, and then, like, just a bunch of little things happen um, that kind of all weave together to become big things. But, so... The main thing is that Mao and Otaba and the grandfathers in Mao's head all have a lot of conversations about religion and belief and what is real and what's not real. Um, But eventually Mao is convinced to bring the water anchor stone back up on shore. And he goes out with Otaba, Milo, and Pilu. And while they're underwater trying to pull up this stone, they discover more of what they think are god anchors but are essentially just statues carved of i probably marble yeah and ataba has a bit of a fit and he starts attacking the other stones and almost drowns doing so so mao jumps in to help him and in the course of all this some sharks are attracted to the scene and mao draws the shark's attention to himself and he uses this trick he learned from someone in the nation years ago but Basically, he yells as loudly as he can underwater. It does not happen to confuse the shark and, I guess, hurt its little sharky ears and cause it to swim away. And then the shark morphs into Marco. And this has been a Morph Monday episode this whole time. No. Uh, <laughs> it's a very dumb joke. I'm sorry. There's just not a lot of jokes in this book. Uh, God, that, that shark. Okay. Hold on. I got to get back in the headspace. Sharks were dumb. The sharks here are cool. <laughs> it's hard to keep the sharks straight yeah know? yeah Whew. a lot of a shark lot of related shark content on this podcast yeah. <laughs> a couple of weeks uh milo and pilu see this as a sign of great power within mao and they go back and they regale the others with the story and mao was kind of like officially their chief after that like he was kind of the chief before but only because he was the last survivor of the nation but now it's a little more legit. But more concerning is he kind of like is almost dead. He just exhausts his poor little mal body. He hasn't been eating. He hasn't been sleeping. He's been running himself ragged. And this was kind of like the last straw. And and he's also like a 13 year old. Yeah. Yeah. He's also <laughs> he's also just a boy. Um, not yet a man. <laughs> <laughs> he's nothing because his he 
his boy soul died on the island yes. and his man soul didn't get there because when he showed back up, all of his people were dead. And so they couldn't like finish up this rituals to make him to give him his man soul. So he has no soul, which is a thing that gets brought up a lot in that people are like, oh, maybe he's a demon. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> not sure. He's not Keep sure about this little Mal. So there is this scene where Daphne, with the help of a wise woman, goes into the the land of the dead to save Mal from almost dying. So they give her some sort of potion and she goes into some sort of trance and they're running around in some kind of underworld. But basically she pulls Mao out. She saves his life and they do some cuddling and it's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> this. Okay. As a person who just wants to ship everything always. Cause Anna can attest to during our Westworld text chains. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's getting desperate y'all. I'm not going to give any serious spoilers, but. Off ran Matt, Matt Damon. Um, anyway. <laughs> The thing about this book is that Mao and Daphne are a very, very cute couple, and I very much ship them, but they're also 13. And I need to yes. stop reading books that require me to ship 13-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> well, the book wants them to be together, too, is the other thing. Yeah. The, the book is very much indicating, and I think hints at that. Like, they, they are happy in another life. They are happy together on the island. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think definitely the, the last... The last sentence of the penultimate chapter very much hints at the idea that there is a world in which they are together. Mm-hmm. It's just not this. It's one. just not this one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so before Mao almost died, uh, because he saved Ataba's life, he's like, you owe me one, man. Tell me where these god anchors come from and why there are so many of them. And Whatever Ataba told Mao causes Mao, Daphne, and Ataba to go to the grandfather cave, which is the cave where all of the grandfathers are entombed. And well, and there's also something from the the grandmothers, isn't there, about like to Daphne about how he has to roll away the he has to go there. Yes, that's what it they're is. They're getting mm-hmm. they're getting some spiritual guidance in this matter, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah. The grandmothers say roll away the stone, and so they do. Yeah. Because grandmothers are always right. Exactly. Except for on Facebook. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> Yikes. They go really far back into the cave. <laughs> and they discover some more statues and other evidence that the nation used to be an extremely advanced civilization that did a lot of science and shit until some bad thing happened and they had to start over. Very similar to what's happening now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wait, you mean like... In the, okay, I went in three different directions with that. Okay. I went, my first thought was when you said, what's happening now, you meant in our real lives. Uh-huh, yeah, with COVID, we all have to start over. <laughs> We're all, it's just wipe out, resetting, <laughs> which is not accurate. And then I was like, oh, what's happening now in the book in regards to, like, I guess the... No, I don't know where my brain went. But then finally I figured out you meant, like, with the wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there was was some big incident in the past that destroyed most of the very advanced (laughs) nation. 
hey, remember when we read that other Terry Pratchett book and I was like, I think I might be too stupid for Terry Pratchett. (laughs) (laughs) Same in this one. Here it comes. Rearing its head again, the stupidity. (laughs) Anyway, some some stuff happens. They basically destroy all the skeletons in this cave. And as they're running out, they, uh, a couple of mutineers from Daphne's ship show up with their guns and they try to take Daphne hostage and kill Ataba um, in the meantime. Because Ataba's like filled with this religious furor. Like he saw all of these, um, he saw this proof basically of the gods being real in his mind. And so he comes out of the cave and he's like, I'm invincible. But then he gets shot dead, which is super sad. I said it like it wasn't, yeah. but it was. There was, there was like a lot of me being like, "Ugh, Ataba sucks" during this book, and then like there was like one paragraph that completely turned me around on Ataba. Yes, when like Mao is like, "Oh, you're just so dumb, and you don't understand that the gods aren't real," and then Ataba's like, "Fuck you, kid! Like my entire family also died. Like you are not the only one who is going through this shit." Like, yeah, I envy your anger. Because it gives you strength. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay. So Mao is actually like the terrible freshman who just took an intro to Mao's just class. being a teenager. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, look, we've all been there. We're, we're like, we know everything. And if anybody has a different worldview, like they're just not smart enough and they, you know, wake up sheeple. Like Mao was being that in that moment. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Atava doesn't suck. He's just trying to get through life in the best way he knows I how know. oh, there were so many like just so you could sympathize with almost everybody in this book it was it was so good cannibals not so much everyone else yes <laughs> no the cannibals were chill the cannibals were chill as fuck are you kidding it was the dude who was in That's the true. one yeah, dude okay, we'll get there all the cannibals were cool I was the like, cannibals, yes, cannibals just wanted to eat people to gain their powers and don't we all <laughs> cannibals did nothing wrong <laughs> you heard it here folks no, wait, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh, I ruined take it. And I'll edit it so you sound cool. <laughs> Typical. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Taffy's taken hostage, and she leads these mutineers to the women's place, which is the part of the village where the men aren't allowed. And it's basically described as a place where yes, women... Yes, please, girls, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> But it's the place where women conduct their business that enriches the, the place lives is what of the I call nation. my Tinder profile. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna <laughs> stop. <laughs> they make beer there, and they grow a variety of plants and herbs and babies there. It's very nice. Just like my it's very feminine profile. Continue. <laughs> and Daphne has been learning a lot about the nation. She she's a bit of a science girl, and. She's learned their language and she's learned how, or she's learned some of their language, not all of it, and how to make their beer. And basically, their beer is made of a bunch of things that are poisonous, but it's, they're neutralized by human saliva. So the nation has this tradition that they think is magical and it's, but it's, but like Daphne finds the science behind it. But the tradition is to spit in the beer and then sing a song that is the exact length of time it takes for the saliva to neutralize the drink. To make it beer. Drinkable beer. Um, anyway. Daphne tricks one of the mutineers into drinking the beer before it's safe by basically saying, don't do it. So he does. <laughs> it's a very good <laughs> trick. 
it's it's a racist thing. He's being racist. Um, and he dies almost immediately. And then the other one, she like hits him over the head and steals his weapons and he leaves to go get back up. So now the nation knows that someone is going to come back and attack them. So they prepare for an attack. They go and get the cannons off Daphne's shipwreck, uh, but they're in really bad shape. They don't have a ton of gunpowder. And Daphne is pretty sure none of these cannons are going to work. They're all going to die in a fire explosion if they try to use them. But Mal is like, chill, girl. I have a plan. So eventually the day arrives that one of the ship mutineers, who was the first mate of the ship Daphne was on, is a real evil guy named Cox because he was a huge cock. And he shows up <laughs> with a band of cannibal raiders that he has become the leader of because he shot the old leader. And that's just how they settle things in the cannibal nation. And this, Well, and there's this interesting, like, I guess, because this is, this is very Robinson, right? Yes. Of the guy who shows up and all of the natives, like, respect him and are like, he's our leader now and we're going to follow him and whatever. Like, that's very Robinson typical mm-hmm. Friday bullshit, right? Um, but there's this whole, like, commentary in here of, number one, he doesn't speak their language and doesn't bother to learn it. And is like, well, I'm teaching them English. I'm trying to civilize Fuck them. that. Yeah. But then also, Daphne looks at these people and realizes that they are a lot like the people back home in that they are not interested in being the leader because the leader ends up dead a lot. And mm. most of the kids... So it's it's... This, like, thing of, like, at on its face, it's like, oh, white guy comes in and takes over brown people tribe and is in charge of them because he's better. But actually, it's like, they're all going with it because if if he fucks up, he's going to die him. and not die. Yeah. So, like, might as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like how she's like, he that guy looks just like the prime minister if he was a little more tan. <laughs> but Cox is just, he's a textbook sociopath he just he shoots animals because he feels like it just kills shoots that's his thing like some of the cannibals are even a little bit resentful of him they just just no one likes this guy he's terrible so tradition states that there has to be one-on-one combat between the leader of the nation and the leader of the raiders and if the nation wins the raiders just go away and if the raiders win they take everyone captive and eat them (laughs) so (laughs) seems maybe a little unbalanced but okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i guess the nation gets the captives that they already have that's true they do ask for those captives which is which is a happy they get something so cox and mal fight and it's revealed that mal was like i didn't really have a plan i was just hoping things would work out in my favor (laughs) (laughs) same uh (laughs) yeah aren't we all like that just a little bit um but he's able to kill Cox with the help of an axe that was mentioned at the beginning of the book, but I didn't mention it until now. But there was a, an axe that was significant at the beginning of the book. Um, and anyway, Mao uses it to kill Cox. Very cool. <laughs> if you want to know about all the great symbolism and stuff, just go read the actual book. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Lokaha appears to Mao and tells him that he has essentially earned his way into their equivalent of heaven. And Mao's like, Nah, I like it here. This is my heaven. Rebuilding the nation is my heaven. It's all about the journey and the friends we made along the way. And Lokaha's like, respect. I respect that. That's, yeah, legit. Okay. There's some line in there that I wish I had highlighted, but I didn't highlight anything in this book because I was enjoying it too much, Mm. where it's like, 
Mao says something about like, there is no such thing as a perfect world, but we're getting like closer to it as yeah. we go. Mm-hmm. Like that the way to get to a perfect world is to stay in this one and build it into something better. Right. Which was like, <laughs> I know it was so hopeful. Yeah. Ugh, this was like written in 2009. We all had hope back then in 2009. <laughs> it's a different, different situation. <laughs> God. And then, so because Lokaha appeared to Mao, the raiders all, they worship the god of death. And so they see him manifest and they all get scared and run away. And they leave their captives there. Which is cool because the unknown woman and the child, like, I guess her husband was one of the captives. And so Daphne starts doing a little bit of surgery. She starts amputating people. She starts sewing people up. She's like real science girl. And everything is going well. And then Daphne's dad shows up on the island because he's been looking for her. It's like time to come home, honey. Sleepover's over. <laughs> Except for they just like hang out for a few weeks on the That's island. True. She's like, look, Papa, look at all the wonderful things we've been building. Look at the science I've been doing. Here's the grand tour. And they're having just a like jolly if your dad time. came to pick you up from the sleepover and was like, actually, I'm going to stay. Actually, is this, is this a cool party where I can meet women, hot singles my age? Uh, no, Marco's dad. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, and this whole good time is ruined because then the secret special ops guys from the beginning show up and they're like, you're the king and you're a princess. We got to go. <laughs> Gotta bounce. Yeah. So they too. Daphne is sad to leave Mao, but Mao says, Your dad needs you more than we need you, but not more than I want you. Oh, they also like set up an agreement between nation and England. the English Empire, the British Empire, I suppose, in that nation will become part of the the Royal Science Academy, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they become, because they were the epicenter of all of this science and learning at one time, they want to try to bring that back, which is. Yeah. So they bring like, yeah, (laughs) they bring all kinds of like telescopes and teachers and all kinds of things. People to study and also teach, right? Like it's like an exchange of information between two different groups and everybody's acting in good faith and it was like so nice and not how the real world is right now. i know yeah like they tried they tried to bring a flag onto the shore when they first got there and daphne was like "Uh uh-uh no take it back or i will kill (laughs) so the last chapter of the book takes place in what is present day and everything on the island is super advanced they're like the leading source on Astrology, astronomy. <laughs> I almost said the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, you got there though. I didn't think about it. <laughs> um, it's revealed that this story was being told to two children who are coming of age and they're going through their new coming of age ritual, which is looking through the telescope and viewing Jupiter during the day. And the kids are upset because they're like, that's not how a story should end. Daphne and Mao should not have been separated. And the older man tells you know he's like they they love their nations more than they love themselves so you know it had to happen but when Daphne after she was queen and she died she ordered that her body be returned to the island and go through the nation's burial rites and she died I guess she died only two months after Mao died and it was very just sad and touching and the little girl 
uh, and the book is like sobbing and she's like, and then there were two dolphins that jumped out of the water and they were together forever. Um, and the, the grandfather's like, no, it's no, not- no, I don't remember that in the story. She's like, I have it. Damn it. Um, which is Me. basically us. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And then, like we said, there's like, uh, I forgot. We forgot to mention the Lokaha and the multiverse thing. He basically says that like anytime a decision is made that creates a new version of the world where, both options or both decisions happen. And so Mao, when, when Daphne and Mao are separated, he says, you know, there are multiverses and maybe sometimes when you and I are just on the verge of sleep, we can see into that other multiverse or universe and know that we are happy there. And it's like, and like, there's, there's also this thing when they're, when they're separating, I'm sorry, this is so like dumb shiver fangirly shit. We're like, (laughs) Uh, he, he's saying like, okay, you have the choice to either get on the boat and leave or let the boat leave and you stay here. Mm -hmm. Right. And then like the last, they agree that she's going to go, but then the last sentence of that chapter is, and then like something like, and then the ship sailed away. So it's like, that's the breaking point. And there is a version of the world where they're together. And it's so happy and good. And Daphne continues to be an awesome, badass science woman. And I like, cool. Yeah. She probably went on to become a good queen or whatever, but. Well, and that's also the thing that I wanted to bring up in that this differed from the typical Robinsonade, right? We're kind of bringing us, since we're about at the end, I think, bringing us back to the genre. Yes. Um. So like in a typical Robinsonade, there is the exit from society living in the wild and then return to society. And there's usually a little Mm -hmm. bit, at least from what we've seen, um, there's a little bit of a wrap up of like, okay. And then they were back in society and this is how they dealt with that. And four more chapters about going to get money and traveling to and from France and Portugal and England and bears. (laughs) Or in the case of hatchet, one very abrupt chapter that doesn't really tell us anything that we actually wanted to know. And then like five <laughs> more books that rewrote it. So like, you know, it just depends. Uh, <laughs> All good options. <laughs> but in this book, we do find out what happened to Daphne because the man telling the story is like, and then she was queen and whatever. But we don't go back with her, right? Mm-hmm. We don't leave the island. We stay on the island. Just, yeah. Which is, I think, kind of, again commentary on the genre of Robinson AIDS and why they are a problem. (laughs) (laughs) At least in the hatchet didn't really suffer from this because hatchet didn't, you know, meet any people while he was, uh, his name's not hatchet. (laughs) What is it? Brian. Brian. The hatchet boy. (laughs) The hatchet man. Um, He's just hatchets where you would expect to find body parts. It's just hatchets all the way down. (laughs) Anyway, point being, the original Robinson Crusoe was hella racist, and I think that this addressed a lot of those. Uh, brought brought to the fore why why the way the Robinsonade is structured is inherently racist. <laughs> yeah, well, and even like I don't know with with Hatchet, it was all kind of like learning to be strong and to care mm-hmm. like to take care of yourself. But I feel like the coming of age in this book was more of a like an emotional yes. maturity, spirituality. Like it didn't really like 
Mao was already very skilled at many things before he came here. And Daphne was very skilled at her things before she came here. But it was more about just becoming a better person. They both, there's kind of like in the traditional Robinsonade, there's kind of this moment of in order to be a full person, in order to be usually a man, Mm. because it's that I have to become a man thing. Mm. But in order to fully attain that, you have to shed the shackles of society, right? Society is holding us back. And this book plays with that. There is that like Mao talking to the grandfathers and being like, these traditions don't make sense. They, they aren't based in reality. Why are we still doing them? What's the need for them? But then the quote that you brought up earlier, one person is nothing. Two people are a nation. Mm -hmm. The point isn't that society is inherently bad or wrong. It's that we have to be, like, critical of it, right? And then in the end, even though it is this, like, island full of science and technology now, they still have these traditions, right? Like, they still have these beliefs. Like, they still have the belief that the dolphins are the soul of the deceased, and they still have, like, these coming-of-age ceremonies and stuff like that. So it's saying, it's not saying reject all of that Mm -hmm. in order to be a man, and then you can come back and be better than the rest of society, right? It's like... Yeah. It's like embrace other people because they're what gives us the reason to live, right? Because Mal was like, if if it was just me... I wouldn't have made a good dinner. I wouldn't have built a shelter. I wouldn't even, I would have basically killed myself because I don't, I wouldn't want, there's no reason for just me, but there is a reason to have a bunch of people together and to create a society. To create nation. Yes. Oh, this book was so good. It was so fucking good, you guys. This was perfect book for me. It was very good. Uh, Did it change your mind on the genre at all? No, because like I said, this is the only good book in the genre. That's that's it. There's Nation and then everything else is crap. I'm pretty sure. I've only read three, but I'm pretty sure. I've read a couple more. I think that would apply. But yeah, I'm 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 comfortable saying that this is a standout of the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't bother with any of the others. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you haven't been reading any other Robinsonades, but Correct. what other books might you recommend this week to our listeners? Um. I don't know. I haven't been doing a lot of reading. I've been having, you know, just this quarantine on me kind of going on. Yeah. I just haven't Girl, been wanting to you. do much. But um, I started reading this book called The Traitor's Kiss by Aaron Beatty, mm. which is... Sounds a... sexy. <laughs> no. Well, it might be. I don't know. I'm only like 30 pages in. But it's about a girl who um, goes to the matchmaker to, you know, be matched and the matchmaker's like, actually, I want you to work for me because we're kind of like spies, <laughs> which is like really appeals to me. I like the uh, I like yeah, this you are political intrigue kind of thing. So. Big fan of spies and rogues and such. Yes, yes. So I'm enjoying it. I think it. I don't know. Like, I think it's a duology, or maybe there's more books in the series. I don't know. But the mm. oh, there's three. But the covers are gorgeous. The most important thing. Yeah, and that pretty much does it for me anymore. <laughs> what about you? What are you reading? Um, like you, I've been having trouble reading. <laughs> it's hard. Like it should. We have all this time, but yeah, it's weird. Um, so it's mainly been, as I said, I think last episode, a lot of romance novels because those are 
great right now. Oh, yeah. And um, graphic novels. So guess what? It's going to be another graphic novel, Woo-hoo! guys. This is the year of the graphic novel for M. And it really is. Uh, so I'm going to recommend On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. Okay. Uh, which was, I think, originally a webcomic, but it, you know, got collated by first, second books. And I don't think collated is the right word, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's a sci-fi story about a woman who is trying to track down her high school sweetheart who is in a weird part of space that it is outlawed to go to and no one else can and you can't get in and out and she ends up joining this group of um they're essentially construction workers but they do construction on like space buildings and so then it turns into like found family on a mission sort of uh, story. And it, it reminded me of this book, not at all, but I haven't read much recently. So <laughs> I, uh, no, it reminded me of this book in that there was like kind of that insular found family sort of angle going with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I like that. That's a better connection than I had, which was nothing. So, <laughs> But it was interesting and I would, I would recommend checking that. Yeah. That sounds good. All right, cool. So I think that wraps us up for this book and for Robinsonades. We are Blessed. done with this, bitches. Uh, what is coming up next week? We have Animorphs number... 16? Maybe. Could be. Let's find out. I know it's a Jake POV. Uh, the 16th book is called The Warning. It's a Jake POV. Okay. So Animorphs number 16, The Warning. And he's delightfully turning into a rhinoceros on the cover of the book. <laughs> fantastic looking forward to that horn first and then the week after that i believe anna is going to be the wrap up to my magical realism unit yes. which oh, do shoot. you have a book for i that? do have a book for this excellent i was a little bit worried before reading uh nation that it wouldn't really feel like magical realism okay but i think i think after reading nation i'm, I'm a little bit more leaning towards the side that it is magical realism it's listed that way on the publisher's website too so okay whatever anyway the book is gods of jade and shadow by sylvia moreno garcia interesting read it this sounds spec ficky but a little bit it's mythology based oh oh which you know i like yes (laughs) i figured that would work for you the Mayan god of death sends a young woman on a harrowing, life-changing journey in this one-of-a-kind fairy tale inspired by Mexican folklore. It takes place during the Jazz Age. Huh. Interesting. So, I hope I hope it applies, and I hope we like it. Because <laughs> I feel like there's a few things there that appeal to you. Cool. Looking forward to the it. The cover is also very beautiful. And that's the most important thing. Exactly. As we've I already wish I discussed. had this physical copy, but sad. it's fine. It's fine. All right, so that's going to be next week. Yes. Nope, two weeks from now. No, two I from lie. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, if you need to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, if you want to tell us, tally the score for, of our game earlier and tell us who won, <laughs> or if you have your own submissions that you would like for us to read, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us, ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also available on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should because 
in another universe, you definitely did. And that version of you <laughs> is a lot happier. <laughs> oh, we, we would appreciate a five-star review, especially if you use Apple Podcasts. But if you don't use Apple Podcasts or star rating systems, you can just talk about us anywhere online that you would like. We very much appreciate it. In the words of Terry Pratchett, listen to me. The only reason the country is not in total chaos at this moment is that most people are too scared to venture out. I mean, <laughs> that was a quote from this book, but also real life right now, I feel like. Skype volume is super high. Okay, can you say something? Hello, Anna. Okay, yes, that's What's much. up? So this is How are you? Yes. How's it going? This is much better. Okay. So <laughs> You're not like yelling into my microphone audio. It's well, fine. to be fair, I was yelling. Well, but ago. usually I can like make it so you're not yelling. <laughs> usually I don't have to listen to your grating fucking voice right in my earbuds, you whore. <laughs> have fun with this audio file, I guess. Great. I mean, if, if this... Because this should be the first time that my audio doesn't fucking suck in, like, two months. So it's my so turn. So <laughs> naturally yours has got to suck. Yeah. That's the rule. <laughs> we can't be perfect. We can't have Ooh. good audio on this show. That would be insane. That would, then that then we wouldn't be uh, a, oh, shit, what's the word? Amateur podcast anymore. We'd be a professional one. We prefer indie. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs>